Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. More than 14 years after apocalyptic fire consumed the church in the deeper recesses of western Uganda, killing hundreds of believers, police has tabled a report into the findings of the Kanungu massacre. On March 17, 2000, believers of the movement of the restoration of the Ten Commandments cult were told they were going to heaven only to be incinerated in the church dosed by petrol. It's not clear yet whether the ringleaders Joseph Kibwetere, Father Dominic Kataribaho, and Sister Credonia Mwerinde perished in the fire or fled. The police report indicates that a total of 700 bodies were recovered. Greetings, hushlings. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our messiah in the making, Slick Frank Sanders. Slick Frank Sanders here. Hey, Slick Frank. Hey, How you doing, hey, man? Hey, hey. You know, I'm just standing over by this uh, raggedy little cart in Uganda peeling oranges that I will freshly <laughs> squeeze and do orange juice for you right on the spot. That sounds amazing. Close your eyes. It's the late 1980s, the Kanungu district of Uganda. The rule of Idi Amin, the AIDS pandemic, and the Ugandan Bush War have all contributed to Uganda's recent political and social turmoil. It's wreaked havoc throughout the country. People have become pessimistic and sad. And the Roman Catholic Church had regressed, engulfed in scandals, and the faithful were dissatisfied. Many post-Catholic groups arose in the late 1980s to fill this void. As a flustered and traumatized populace turned to charismatic, self-declared messiahs who renounced the authority of the government and the church. Fuck the church! God is dead! <laughs> That's pretty much what this is. Out of the ashes comes Joseph Kibwetir, one of the leaders who claimed his visions of the Virgin Mary warned him of an impending apocalypse, ultimately leading to the members of the newly formed group, the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, to their deaths. But before we perform another initiation ritual, be sure to check us out on all our social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also come over and watch us play some video games on Twitch. I think I'm going to start streaming Apex just because I'm not terrible at it. Dude, hit me up. I'm Apex ready now. I am Apex ready, baby. You Apex squared up. Let's really start playing on there. Yeah, I'm going to stream a lot of weird hentai stuff. Hentai games. Nice, good, nice. Good. Yeah, you got to order them from Japan. Those are the best ones because if you get the ones that are distributed in America, they blur out all the tentacles. We also invite you to join our Discord server where you, the Hushling, can chat with us, the Preceptors, about different topics and watch 300 plus episodes of The X-Files in our watch parties, which we just started this past week and will be weekly on Sundays at about 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, a quick thank you to everybody that joined us this past weekend when we watched the first two episodes of The X-Files. This is like my third or fourth time getting through the series of The X-Files, and I enjoy it every time. 
You know, I thoroughly enjoyed both episodes. I forgot how annoying Scully was. In the first, I would say, maybe season and a half, maybe two seasons, she is like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the noise I was making. Ugh. Yeah. But ugh. she she also has to be that way, you know? She's got to be the catalyst. She's got to be the polar opposite of a young smoldering Fox Mulder. I understand. For everything Hush Hush Society... Visit our official website, www.hushhushsociety.com. There you can find all of our segments from our debriefings to declassified discussions, scripted chronicles. You can also purchase Hush Hush Apparel and accessories, dudes and dudettes. You have no idea how many new threads we got coming season six. It's going to be fun. We're going to cover you head to toe. Maybe get steering wheel covers, air fresheners <laughs> for your car, pacifiers for your children. I just want mystery mic condoms. We can do that, definitely. definitely. So fuzzy, so hairy. <laughs> So very. <laughs> also on our website, you can read some Hush Hush news and explore other conspiracies in our blog section, which we are updating vigorously. You also have the ability to leave a oh-so-special review. Yes, from our website, from Apple Podcasts, from Google Podcasts, from Spotify now, you can leave us a star rating, you can leave us a comment rating, let us know how we're doing, tell us we're doing great, tell us where we need to improve, and how we can gain your listenership forever. We don't want to forget about our Patreon hushlings. You can give a donation of $5 per month. And we'll release your earthly soul as you'll ascend to become a true hushling. We're not a cult. We're not a cult, but during your ascension, you will gain access to exclusive debriefings, sultry mystery Mike's cryptid erotica readings that will make your heart pump with burning desire, as well as monthly conspiratorial news in the Frong Factor featuring myself and Declassified Dave, as well as merch drops, sticker packs, and early episode releases. You can join today at www.patreon.com slash hushhussociety. Lastly, before we begin, Hushlings, have you noticed we've changed the names of our episodes? Yes, we They're have. still considered debriefings. You can still consider them debriefings. We consider them debriefings. We number them. But publicly, they're all different. Check them out. Look them up. Listen them again. There's like 3,000 minutes. Imagine how many people that we trick into thinking that that's like a new episode they haven't heard before. Every <laughs> single just... one of our episodes, from episode 1 to 47, we have redone, and you yeah, can listen to yeah, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Featuring Alex Jones. Remastered. <laughs> yeah, Apple's real weird about numbering episodes, and um, it's funny, I thought it was kind of bullshit. Then we started renaming the episodes, and the most downloaded episodes are some of our older ones now, so it seems like maybe SEO is doing the job that it's supposedly supposed to do, at least within Apple Podcasts. We have cool titles, super cool titles. All right, boys. Let's join a cult again. This time, no Nike decades. <laughs> what do you know about Uganda? Huh? Where is it? You know where it is? You know where it is? You know where it is? Africa. Africa. Yeah. That big right. piece of land that's just a bigger Texas, right? Yeah. It's just one big Texas uh, with less cowboy hats. I always found interesting that, and I don't know if this is true anymore, but throughout the Middle East and Africa, from what you can see, a lot of the vehicles that rebels and small militias will drive around in throughout the desert are Toyota Highlanders and Tacomas. <laughs> 
and forerunners. <laughs> and they look terrifying in them. Yeah, they all have 50 cal machine guns mounted <laughs> through the roof. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, means you could do that here. They always seem to be like 1997 to 2004s. Those are the workhorse engines. The workhorse. They don't make them like they used to. As a matter of fact, Uganda is a landlocked country in East Africa with a diverse landscape that includes the snow-capped Renzori Mountains and immense Lake Victoria. As you guys can see in this picture, the size of Lake Victoria. It looks fucking huge from that picture, yeah. It's like half the size of the country. Its abundant wildlife includes the remote, windy, impenetrable National Park, a renowned mountain gorilla sanctuary, as well as Murchison Falls National Park in the northwest. It's known for its 141-foot-tall waterfall and wildlife. It is roughly 93,000 square miles, which is about the size of Michigan. And what a professional football team they have. As of 2020, it has a population of 46 million people. And since gaining independence from British statehood in 1962, which was held since 1894, the country has been subjected to a violent military coup, a dictatorship that ended in 1979, and a five-year war that brought current president Yoweri Museveni to power in 1986. So he's still the president? Currently? Still the president? Uh, no, no, he can't be. And brought current president to power in 1986, yeah. He's still the president. Still the president, 1986, so that is uh, 36 years in power. Yeah, still the president. He's, he's doing something right. <laughs> I don't know about right. <laughs> well, he's not a dictator, he's a president, so he was voted in, right? Yeah, they went from a dictatorship to a presidency. He wears 17-year-old Nike sneakers to every meeting. <laughs> What's up with the African version of the yarmulke that you always see the older African people wearing? That little weird hat that's almost reminiscent of a yarmulke. They're like yarn zone? Yeah. Yeah, those things are cool. Didn't the guys from uh, Fifth Element wear those too? Yes, yes. Maybe that's where they got the idea. little cultural appropriation. Egypt is on the continent of, of Africa, so that's where the movie started. Additionally, the population and the government have had to deal with a devastatingly long 20-year insurgency in the north, headed by the Lord's Resistance Army and HIV-AIDS to contend with as well. Was Uganda a country that got pretty hit by Ebola as well? I want to say personally, I remember Africa got hit with every plague and uh, came out on top. They're still there. Yeah. <laughs> God. Still one of the biggest land masses. <laughs> we can already get the picture as to why so many of the people might follow a group into sort of a salvation. Things are fucked up around you. What are you going to do? You got to look for the... Silver linings, right, boys? Silver linings. Mm, mm. Especially in some of the areas that are far less off than others. We have to note that in the capital city alone of Kampala, there were hundreds of churches that were broken from the Catholic Church and usually targeted those who were unemployed or going through hardship. Hey, your life sucks? Come on with us! That has always been something that the Catholic Church does, no matter where they are, whether they're in missions in different parts of the world, or they're here in America, sitting out front of their stone palaces, and oh my taking advantage of people and saying, hey, you know what'll fix all your problems? Little God. 
God's going to come in. He's going to fix it all. All you got to do is pray. Put a couple dollars in the bowl when it gets passed around. But especially in these other countries, it feels like they went really out of their way. Because as we just mentioned, people who are down and out are more likely to stick to something like that and to fall for it, I guess. Fall for the sales pitch. How long does it take for somebody to be duped by something like that? Not long. I guess, because this country was released from the British Empire in the 60s. So... Mm -hmm. How long has this country been able to be its own? And as it's been its own, seems like it's been in turmoil the entire time. They've never really had a fighting chance. can only imagine the poverty levels. I personally know somebody that uh, I worked with. Their whole family's from Uganda. They were born in Uganda. We met a hushling the other night from Uganda. We do. Yes, we do yes, Ugandan we did. Hushling, yes. The stuff that I've heard from them has been wild. And they were young when they moved to uh, California, so they've been here. They're they're American now. They've been here for so long. Think about it. Living in mud huts. Just think about that compared to what you're sitting at in right now. Hold on. Before we jump to conclusions, is Uganda definitely one of those mud hut places? Because I know yes. all of Africa isn't. There's pictures of Kanungu that's made of what what they have. Like you're walking to the waterhole 85 miles away. Probably not 85 miles. But you can see what I'm talking about. We've talked about it previously when we discussed cults and the mindset the people are in, especially of those like initiates. Look at Marshall Applewhite. Preying on the vulnerable. Yep. He found homeless kids. He found drifters, hippies. He promised them something better than what they had. And all they had to do was just give up their credit cards. For a pair of Nike decades and a couple of Charleston shoes, I'd probably give up my credit card. But that's the vulture mentality of cults in themselves, is you have to target someone who has low self-esteem or is going through hardship or has some sort of mental illness. The likelihood of you duping someone into joining a cult that is a headstrong, intelligent person that's on top of the world is less likely than some homeless kid off the street. No, for sure. It's very predatory. Mm-hmm. But more specifically, the Kanungu district is a fertile and peaceful region in the southwest of the country, bordering the Democratic Republic of the Congo to its west. The area has lush green hills and deep valleys covered in small farms broken up by homesteads. It's been estimated that the population of the district was about 252,000 people back in 2012. Yeah, looking at pictures of it, it's actually beautiful. It's nothing like what you would expect. No, no, definitely not Sahara. Oh, no, this is the jungle region. We're in the, the thick of it. It's supposed to be a very rainy area of Africa. It rains a lot. Some of their main exports, since they're so fertile, are tobacco, bananas, coffee, sweet potatoes, as well as beef. They have lots of cows. So milk is also a major export and something that is a part of their diet, major staple. The whole country seems to be in a bad way, but Kanungu seems pretty nice, though, right? You know, lush forest, green valleys, coffee, beef. Listen, as long as you got sides of beef and a nice cup of coffee, you're, you're making it. You ever have coffee with your beef? You ever had coffee with your beef? <laughs> oh, my God. People often season their steaks with, like, coffee grounds. They'll cover mm, the steak That's true. Yeah, when they dry age them and stuff. As we mentioned, what's one of the main factors that compels someone to join a cult? Religion. 
The movement for the restoration for the Ten Commandments of God was a religious movement founded in southwestern Uganda by Credonia Mirwande and Joseph Kibwatir. The origin of the church dates way back to 1980 when Bulladina Bazikwe claimed to have received a vision from the Virgin Mary. The vision is said to have revealed the end of the world in the year 2000 at Nyaibagot Hill. Why is it always the Virgin Mary? She's the one that was knocked up without having sex. Yeah, hence the name Virgin. We got it. But there's so many other characters in this story. There's so many characters in that book. Why doesn't Joseph ever get any love? Why doesn't anybody say, I was toasting a nice piece of rye bread this morning and it popped out of my toaster and there was the image of Joseph, the faithful herder that raised someone else's child. You make a good point. He does, but technically Joseph doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. Even though Joseph was Mary's husband, they didn't have sex to have Jesus. So Joseph means really nothing in that story. How fucking dare you, step-parent of the year? Chewbacca has nothing to do with the Force, but he's a beloved character in Star Wars. Joseph has nothing to do with Jesus, why isn't he getting the love? Point taken. Christianity and Star Wars comparison brought to you by Slick Frank Sanders. As the church grew, hundreds and hundreds of members of the religious movement were killed in a fire and series of poisonings and killings that were initially thought to be a group suicide. It was an absolutely gruesome scene. That escalated quickly. For how rich of a land this region is, why would these people all go and kill themselves? Well, I think we have to specify that this is not the entire population, obviously, of the Kanungu district. Imagine if it was just everybody. The whole district? Yeah. 200,000 people, mass suicide. That's a major cult move right there. They should have played their cards better. <laughs> should have amassed more people. <laughs> Rule number one, get as many people in your region as you can. There you go. Let's get to know these five primary leaders of this wonderful group. Most importantly, we have Joseph Kibwatir, who we spoke of, also known as the Prophet, Credonia Merwende, the Programmer or Priestess of Death, that's a title, were the two leaders and visionaries of the group. Credonia was allegedly a prostitute looking to repent for her sins. Uh, already bullshit. Why bullshit? That's got to be a good pay bump. You go from being a, a prostitute to the programmer or priestess of death. Hmm. Well, think about it. If she's one of the people that says that she had visions and she was a prostitute, no judgment if you're one of our hushlings and you're a prostitute. We love sex workers. Not in my personal experience. Sex work is real work. Yes. In the experience of seeing prostitutes on the street where I live, they all on drugs. <laughs> so <laughs> could she have just been on drugs when she saw the Virgin Mary? You're high on drugs. You have cum in your eyes. You're probably seeing Jesus stuff. <laughs> you're probably seeing things. Yeah, you're probably. Or here's a novel fucking idea. She made it up. She lied. Yeah. The prostitution? No. Oh, the Virgin Mary thing. Okay. The Mary yeah. part. Imagine the Virgin Mary thing was the real thing that she was talking about, but the prostitution thing was a lie. <laughs> Why? Why? She was lying about being a prostitute, but really was seeing the mother of Christ. Yeah, just for clout. <laughs> just for the clout of it. Well, she's really had it bad, so listen to her. Now, there is not a lot of information on Joseph's early life other than he was married in the 60s and lived a life devoted to Catholicism. He was a priest. 
1980, he ran for political office and donated enough land to build a school of his own design. The Catholic school he founded and led appeared to be orthodox, and he had a good reputation in the community at that time. So there you go. You got your compound. You got your reputation. You're looking to be a cult leader very soon. Mm-hmm. Yep. Likeable person. Yeah. He's mm. got all the qualifications. Prostitutes. He's got, he's got <laughs> mail-order brides. But... In 1984, he claimed, as we said, to have these said sightings of the Virgin Mary. Here's the kicker. Credonia had brought these visions to him, and Credonia claimed that she could see the Virgin Mary when she was looking at a stone in the mountains, and she claims that the stone was a spitting image of Virgin Mary. Is this the picture of the stone? Yes. I want to say, if if you're looking at it and you see the top of it, it's got a very mummy-like appearance, and you can kind of see this babushka-looking Russian doll Mm, face to it. I think you're trying really hard. I think it looks like fecal matter. I think that literally (laughs) looks like fecal matter. It's the shape of a turd. Or you use your imagination a little bit. So you see towards the top of the stone, that could be her head draped, a fabric draped over her, some sort of robe. And she's walking away from the camera, just shy, sheepishly, like a Marilyn Monroe. I guess. (laughs) She was on drugs. (laughs) Or just very imaginative. Who knows? She could, yeah, she could be like me. I saw a face. Mike saw the head in a different spot. I saw a face. She looks kind of like the hunchback in Notre Dame, just the way that I'm looking at it. Or Cardonia was a prostitute and knew exactly how to get to the heart of man. She's an influencer. Or this is where she fucked people. That could have been another place, too. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. This is one of her spots. Let me take you to a spot. Let me take you to the Virgin Mary Rock. Cardonia's father also claimed to have had a vision of Joseph's deceased daughter, Evangelista, as early as 1960. That's interesting. Her father also had a vision. Before he even met her. 20 years Mm. earlier. Weird. By 1989, the family's message was being shared by the leaders as they traveled around Uganda in Toyota Highlanders. (laughs) (laughs) When Credonia met Joseph, he greeted her with wide open arms and told her about his own life experiences after he left her 20 on the nightstand. Yeah. (laughs) These events would ultimately lead up to the formation of the Movement for the Restoration of God's Ten Commandments. Credonia's father died, and he took over as leader of the gang. In the 1990s, they placed a heavy emphasis on apocalypticism, and their pamphlet, quote, A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of the Present Time, end quote. Dude, it sounds just like Heaven's Gate. That's a hook right there. If that doesn't have you reading, I don't know what will. But that's another element of cults in themselves is always some sort of end date. It's like some shock value that like hooks you. I don't know. It's weird. We can save you before the end of the world. Everyone else will be burned and perish and turned to ash and all of us, we're going to be fine. You 27 people. (laughs) Like we said before, you got to be really not doing well to get on board. I feel like it's the afterlife portion of it, not the dying itself. But like Mike said, they're offering you salvation, essentially. Everybody else is screwed, but you, you can be saved with us. Obviously, yeah, you have to be in a bad spot, but... I'm actually kind of jealous because can you imagine having that type of belief? 
We said that in Heaven's Gate when we talked about that family element to it, quote unquote. You feel like you belong to a group and you have the belief that you're going to be saved and the belief that you're surrounded by loved ones and people that share your same belief. It's a strong, intoxicating thing. Obviously, it lures those people in. Obviously, we have hushlings. <laughs> We're not a cult. <laughs> There are a couple more members that we don't get too deep into. We'll just pretty much mention. There's Paul Ikazir and Dominic Katarababo, and both were excommunicated priests. Dominic actually obtained a PhD from a university in the United States. Uh-huh. That's what they say. I have a degree from the United States. Listen to me. Why did you say that like I have a dream? I have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> Hushlings Declassified Dave has a dream. Oh my god. <laughs> there is also John Kamagaria, and actually, a warrant is active for all of their arrests. Currently. Still. Still. Currently. They're, yeah. they're, aren't they dead? Maybe not. Maybe That's not. That's the question. That's the question. We gotta understand the teachings of these leaders and the mindset that they walk into this with. The movement for the restoration of God's Ten Commandments goals were to obey the Ten Commandments and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They taught that in order to avoid damnation in the apocalypse, one must strictly adhere to the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's not hard, right? That's ten rules. Yeah, ten rules. Live by them, die by them, baby. Don't kill someone. Don't sleep with Steve's wife. Yeah, that's it. That's all there are. <laughs> That's all there are, just <laughs> yeah. the two. Don't kill and don't bang Steve's wife. What is that? <laughs> ten, that's ten words, right? <laughs> what if you get permission from Steve to bang his wife? Steve's a cuck. <laughs> for those of you that aren't aware of what these might be, here's a list for our disciples on what was on the two stone tablets found by the biblical Moses on Mount Sinai are a set of biblical principles relating to ethics and worship that play a fundamental role in Judaism and Christianity. They are as follows. Hushlings. <laughs> you shall have no other gods before yes, God? You shall have no other gods before me. <laughs> God, are you Gandalf? <laughs> you shall not You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no idols. Well, we've all sinned. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. With Steve's wife. You shall not steal. And the big one for this cult. You shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And one more, hushlings. You shall not covet. Seems pretty easy. We have sinned many times. Um, the Sabbath day of Sunday is never holy for me. Uh, I say, God damn it, all the time. You should stop. The increased focus on the commandments was so strong that the group discouraged talking out of fear of violating the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. They even used sign language as communication on some days just to prevent that violation. So what is, what is that? Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. I have no idea. Is that speaking badly of your neighbor or... Speaking falsely in any matter, lying. So it's lying. Or equivocating in any way, devising in any designing to deceive your neighbor. 
So these people lied so frequently that they just said, fuck it, we won't lie with our mouths, we'll do it with our hands? <laughs> well, if you think about it, that kind of makes things easier for the cult leaders because then they're not lying per se when they go and they tell them things. Even though, yeah, that is kind of doublespeak when they're still lying through sign language, but Either way, if they're not vocally speaking lies, then I guess in their brains, they're not breaking that commandment. Despite the fact that the group had split off from the Catholic Church, they displayed Catholic icons, had excommunicated priests and nuns in its leadership as well. Fasting was practiced on a regular basis, and there was only one meal eaten on Mondays and Fridays. Sex was prohibited. Sorry, hushlings. As was the use of soap. So you probably wouldn't want to have sex either if you weren't using soap. So. All these groups want to stop the sex. Stop the sex, stop the bathing, talking. You're going to be dirty and horny and quiet. <laughs> By a long enough period of time, we haven't had sex. We smell like shit. We haven't showered. <laughs> things are terrible. Might as well bring on that Kool-Aid. <laughs> oh, I'll take the applesauce. The group had a strong emphasis on an apocalyptic end time, highlighted by their booklet, A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of the Present Time, which we just mentioned. We don't get into the booklet too much. The booklet, it's pretty much a remake of a remake of a remake that this guy kind of chopped together mm. of certain doctrines and their visions. It was very, very long. Did it have like cool shitty Photoshop like Heaven's Gate did on their website? <laughs> No, I think this might have been pre-Photoshop. Maybe not. Maybe not. New members had to study it and be trained in its text, which they had to read up to six times as they were also taught that the Virgin Mary played an important role in the end and that she communicated with their leadership, mainly Joseph and Credonia. They compared themselves to a kind of Noah's Ark, a ship of righteousness in the sea of wickedness. For example, when speaking with an ex-member, Miss Ario became a member of the movement with her family when she was about 10 years old. She is now 41 years old. 31 years she's been a part of the cult? So yeah, she was a little kid. She was a part of the cult for 31 years? Wow. Her widowed mother was struggling to raise three children, and the group provided prayer and a sense of belonging. In their compound, one mile outside the town of Rukungiri, the family hosted a branch of the church with about 100 members. That's not too shabby. 100 members? Nice, nice congregation. One member is quoted as saying, Our lives revolved around prayer, though we also farmed and we did everything in our power to avoid sin. If you sinned, they would sometimes order you to recite the rosary, which is a prayer to God, 1,000 times. Damn. That's hefty. It's like writing on a chalkboard. Bart Simpson style. Merwende ascended to the top of the movement's visionary hierarchy as the former excommunicated priests served as theologians behind them, explaining their profound messages. Previously, we mentioned that Merwende claimed to receive messages from the Virgin Mary, yet it shifted from visions to a hidden telephone system that they implemented through everyday objects. They built housing for recruiting, indoctrination, and worship, as well as a primary school in western Uganda, and the organization was forced out of Rashamari by village elders in 1992. Good on the elders. Get your shit out of here! You fucking hippy-dippy cultists! So in 1992, they relocated to the Kanungu district, where Marawande's father provided them with land. The self-sustaining community 
would accept entire families and provide for all of their needs. Members grew their own food, they ran schools, and contributed to labor with their skills. See, there's always that upside to the cult life, that self-sufficiency. You see it a lot in cults. Mike, we went on Let's Start a Cult, and the cult that we talked about, dude, they had like a dope little setup going on, that totally self-sufficient lifestyle. It's just all of those rules and the indoctrination and the cultiness that's like a real downside of it, and the whole mass suicide portion of it. The, oh, let's have some fun until we all kill ourselves is kind of... Yeah. 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 And as far as this group goes, they sounded like they were kind of very community-based. Besides, like Frank said, the rules that you got to follow are all kind of wonky and Mm. not speaking and all that other stuff. But, you know, as far as like building schools and kind of a sense of community within the district and within the towns that they were a part of, yeah, they did some good, I guess... I guess other than the fact that you couldn't wash your balls and you're not allowed to speak. <laughs> Damn it. Your life is so good, but your balls stink and you got to kill yourself in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the village elders kicked them out because they smelled. <laughs> you guys got to go. In 1994, Paul Akaziri left the sect along with a decent group of ex-followers, realistically saving the lives of almost 70 members. Good on him. Good on Paul. By the late 1990s, the church had developed into a vibrant community in what appeared to be a beautiful setting of pineapple and banana plantations. Of death. Members lived communally on land purchased by pooling their assets and selling them when they joined the movement, and according to a government file, the movement had about 5,000 members by 1997. Little did anyone outside know what was going on within the community. 5,000 members, jeez. And they all sold their assets to be able to get this land. To these people, yeah. They were building their own town. Yeah. In 1998, the Ugandan press stated that the movement had been closed down for filthy conditions. No (laughs) shit. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, they also found that families were intentionally split up. There was an exploitation of child labor, perhaps even kidnapping of children, and essentially holding adult members hostage by their finances and property. But the government permitted the cult to reopen anyways. Grand reopening under new management. In 1999, the state-owned New Vision newspaper ran an interview with a teenager member. He said, The world ends next year. There is no time to waste. Some of our leaders talk directly to God. Any minute from now, when the end comes, every believer who will be at an undisclosed spot will be saved. How nice. So they only know about the spot. Totally wholesome. Undisclosed, yep. Undisclosed, so yeah. Very secretive and smelly. We mentioned the coming of the new millennium, and some of us remember the panic that was Y2K. Remember, you know, the computers? They were like, oh no, what are we going to do when we switch from 1999 to 2000? We didn't program the computers. The world is going to end. Remember when Best Buy receipts in 1999 used to have, don't forget to turn your computer off? That was the big thing. That's why so many people thought that the year 2000 was going to bring the end. There was Y2K. Ah, the good old days. What a time to be alive. Yeah, the 90s were very special. Yeah, just rub it in my fucking face. 
Hey, you know what, though? We had stuff cost pizza. <laughs> they were the best of times. They were the worst of times. Movement leaders declared that the apocalypse would occur on December 31st, 1999. That was doomsday. And they said it would come, quote, with ceremony and finality. Sounds very nice. The year 2000 was settled on as the final date for the sex predictions of the apocalypse and to be followed by, quote, year one of the new world. Oh, so there was a continuation. That's nice. The new world in death. But see, here's the thing. I don't believe this cult was like Heaven's Gate, in a sense. Heaven's Gate, they had an end date where Earth is going to be recycled and they will ascend into the kingdom of heaven. But mm -hmm. they had to kill themselves for it. In this one, there's no mention of suicide. So that was the end date. Of the old world. Of the old world, but they weren't going to commit suicide to ascend. They were just supposed to be a part of the said rapture. January 1st comes around and they're like, oh, case of the Mondays. <laughs> Where did they think they were going to go? Probably nowhere because they didn't think they were going to die. And like I just said, this has some eerily similar characteristics to Heaven's Gate other than the suicide portion. They were about to find out, and shall I say it, almost biblical proportions. <laughs> Hushlings, we will return after these brief messages. Greetings, Hustronauts. We return to the Preceptor's ancestral homeland of Connecticut. In the year 2007, where we discuss and investigate one of the most heinous crimes the state had seen in decades. Two suspects, Joshua Komosarjewski and Stephen Hayes, broke into the Pettit family's home in Cheshire, Connecticut. The family was beaten, sexually assaulted, and tied to their beds before the house was set on fire. Jennifer Hawk Pettit and her two daughters Haley, 17, and Michaela, 11, were murdered. However, Dr. William Pettit escaped the clutches of certain death. This case turned Connecticut's justice system on its head. Both perpetrators were recommended for the death penalty. On Monday, May 23rd, join the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour for debriefing 49, the Cheshire Home Invasion Murders. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Hushlings, as far as we're aware, the apocalypse did not occur on January 1st of 2000, or did it? Because of this, the movement began to completely unravel. Merwende and Kibretir were questioned. Church payments were drastically reduced. Ugandan police believe that some members were forced to sell their possessions and hand over the proceeds to the movement, and that started a rebellion, and eventually they demanded their money back. Ooh, see, this is where the turn happens. Yeah, this is where it happens. Oh, how the turntables have. And that's also <laughs> another part of it. There was never, in, in Heaven's Gate at least, there was never anybody that questioned Marshall Applewhite. No, that dude had full control. Dude, those tuna casseroles were, had them locked in. We joked about it, how he was kind of changing the plans on the fly, especially with the comet coming and everything else. He moved up timelines and talked about how suicide was not a thing that would get you into heaven. Then all of a sudden it was a thing that got you into heaven. So, mm -hmm. and, and those followers, like I said, never questioned that. Well, yeah, it was when his wife died and her body never went anywhere and he just had, had to go ahead and walk around it. 
Bonnie died of cancer, and they were all like, wait a minute. They didn't take the bait. No, they still believed, and that was the thing. With this group, at least they kind of saw through the bullshit. It took them a while, but... The events that followed are thought to have been orchestrated by the sect leaders in response to the crisis within the ranks. In March of 2000, the group began slaughtering a bunch of their cattle and buying a massive amount of Coca-Cola. <laughs> what? Coca-Cola was specified. Interesting. Yeah. Not so. a Pepsi group. <laughs> Which didn't initially raise alarm. Why would it? They're buying Coca-Cola. They're having some beef. You get a lot of information of a cult depending on what their drink of choice is. And uh, seeing the Coca-Cola choice, I'm, I'm picking up what they're putting down. I get it. Mm, mm, okay. mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what were they preparing for? A feast? What they didn't know, it was their last meal. Guys, if, uh, let's say that you started a cult, hush, hush, it's not a cult, no. um, but let's say that you started a cult and you had to go out and slaughter a bunch of your cattle. What's going to be your drink of choice that you're <laughs> buying with all that money? Frunk? I mean, you are sweating a lot. I'm sure slaughtering a lot of cattle is no easy work and you are going to be parched. And the mm. only thing to quench that unquenchable thirst is probably gonna be like a canada dry ginger ale <laughs> canada drive that's a it's an interesting choice this isn't a schweppes house david what are you getting for a little drinky poo for your friends <laughs> a little sip for a death a death sip yeah a little death sip what are you doing if you really want to like send them out on a bad way or a good way you shouldn't have to think that hard about it i don't drink soda it doesn't have to be soda oh it doesn't have to be soda it could be high sea fruit punch any little sip. A nice cold glass of lemonade. Ooh. Nice. A nice. lemonade departure. I like it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with a Code Red. Mountain Dew Code Red. Oh, that shit gives me heartburn. I can't find that shit anymore. little game fuel before you go out? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour is brought to you by Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew Code Red. Drink it up before you die. All your teeth are red now, huh? On March 17th, good old St. Paddy's Day, Kibbutir planned a party of epic proportions of beef and soda, a feast <laughs> to be goffed at, with a follow-up event on the 18th for the inauguration of the new Nyabagoto Church. We all love a little nice frosty cola with a, with a little side of beef, sipping slaughter. <laughs> Coke is only good in the, in the glass bottles, the Mexican Coke. Shout out Blackrock. On the 17th, group members arrived at Nibugoto Church in Kanungu to pray and sing. After a few hours of worship, nearby villagers heard an explosion, and the building was obliterated. That's what happens when you have that much Coca-Cola in one building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we forgot to mention they had Mentos. They told all the members to shake up their bottles. <laughs> We're terrible people. Unfortunately, it killed all 530 in attendance, including dozens of children. Oh. The windows and doors of the building had actually been boarded up. We also don't know if they knew or not those windows were boarded up. This leads to a lot of speculation. And during a later investigation, there were markings on the doors and walls that indicated a struggle. These people, like we said before, probably didn't want to die or even had any inkling that they were going to die that day. They were eating beef sliders and having ice-cold bottles of Mexican Coke, and all of a sudden, they locked them in church. All five cult leaders were assumed to have died in the fire, and the fire had alerted the Ugandan authorities to what was going on with the movement. 
Four days after the church fire, police raided movement properties and discovered hundreds of bodies at various locations throughout southern Uganda. Six bodies were discovered, sealed in the Kanungu compound's latrine, mutilated and doused in battery acid. Wow. 153 bodies were discovered at a compound in Buhanag. 155 bodies were discovered at Dominic Katari Babo's estate in Ruagazi, where they had been poisoned, asphyxiated, and or stabbed. Jesus. So here's the thing for me on this. Clearly, this was not a cult suicide because these bodies were systematically moved in certain areas. They were distributed and buried as well. Somebody had to bury them. Can you imagine all five of these leaders if they didn't die? It does very much reek of like faking your own death, though. Mm -hmm. If they're being questioned by the members of the group about their money, about the land that they own, and about those different things, and the leadership is just using that to their own advantage, the best way to do that is to get rid of all the witnesses, all the people that contributed, all the people that were part of the group. You just systematically, like you said, kill them off. And with that many bodies going around and a big fire happening and bodies found in battery acid, it'd be hard, almost impossible to ensure that all of the leadership of this group were killed along with their followers. Yeah, because I was watching a documentary on it the other day and came out about nine months after this happened. And a lot of the people that they were interviewing were saying that this was probably retaliation for that questioning. Just get rid of everybody and then run with the money. Now, before we do move on, we do have to tell you we are not sure of the poison that they were allegedly poisoned with. I looked high and low for days. Yes, very difficult information to find. Hushlings, if you know, email us, message us, tell us, because I'm very interested. I do know that there were bodies that were found with syringe puncture wounds on the neck. Also, quite a few bodies appeared to have been choked by banana leaves tied in clothing around their necks. Banana leaves are that tough to tie up? They're quite tough, yeah. Wow. Hmm. Another 81 bodies were discovered, including 44 children at Joseph Nimarinda's farm. After all these findings, forensic investigators revealed that they were murdered several weeks before the church fire. Yeah, so this was super planned out. Jesus. Fuck. Yeah, that means 81 people were killed before the main event, I guess you could say, of what they were planning. The whole group was so widespread, as we're seeing in all these different locations, that there would have been no way that they would have known that these things were going on. It's not like that word of mouth would have traveled, especially since none of them were speaking. No. Police official Eric Nyagambi said that Security officials had not suspected the sect's followers of planning anything untowards because the group had invited the district commissioner to the party on the 18th to inaugurate the new church that we spoke of. Real quick, they planned the event on the 17th, killed everybody, and then to make him seem like nothing was going on, oh, we're going to have another shebang the next day. Got everybody stoked for a bender over the weekend. Two-day banger. Interesting. He's quoted... These cult members, although planning for prayers to elevate them to heaven on the 17th, duped the public into thinking they had another day on earth by saying they were having a party on the 18th to welcome the new resident district commissioner. Ooh, this is seedy. Mm. Anna Kabiraho, who still lives on a hill above the cult's territory, has never forgotten the stench that enveloped the valley that Friday morning. Quote, 
Everything was covered in smoke, soot and the stench of burnt flesh. It seemed to go right into your lungs, she recalls. Everybody was running into the valley. The fire was still going. There were dozens of bodies, burnt beyond recognition. We covered our noses with aromatic leaves to ward off the smell. For several months afterwards, we could not eat meat. With these findings, they realized that some of the bodies found were more than a few months post-mortem, that people were definitely systematically slaughtered since at least January, wow. March 17th is when everything went down, and they're saying that these first bodies were killed in January. So for three months, this leadership was working against his own people and killing them in silence. Shit. Yeah, so for uh, two and a half, three months or so, since the downfall of this apocalypse not showing up, the interviews that I was watching, a lot of these people had their heads caved in, blunt force trauma. Jesus. On top of suffocation, burnings, certain things. So a lot of these bodies that were they were finding were bludgeoned to death. And we were talking about them being poisoned. That would have been the easy way to go. But it seems mostly like these people were tortured to death. They did many methods of murder in this since I'm younger than you guys and you guys were actually like coherent, probably teenagers or young adults at the time, I just got to ask, was this big news when it happened? Was it in the media? Were, were news stations reporting on this? Did you guys know about this when it was happening? It was definitely probably on CNN or something like that. But at the time in 2000, I was 13 and I didn't give a shit about CNN. Probably a blip in the newsreel. Yeah. Just because it wasn't happening in America. Yeah. I mean, if you went through and you said 600, 700 people were killed in America during a cult, fuck, they would have covered that shit for three, four months. A lot of these articles were written on the 20th anniversary or just afterwards. This is kind of one of those things that happened and just got forgotten about. Mm -hmm. Some say 489 died, yet some say 778 as a firm number. Others claim 924 members, but most likely over a thousand people probably were killed throughout the course of months, maybe even years. They might even be mass graves that they haven't found yet. And it's been a while, but you never know. And that technically makes it only second to the Jonestown cult's mass suicide in 1978, where 914 people died in South America. I truly don't see how you can get an accurate number, though. Because I'm sure, like I just said, there's mass graves everywhere. The way that they distributed the bodies in this, there's got to be others. The investigation later determined it to be a mass murder after their predictions of the said apocalypse failed to come true. They never have a plan. There's never a plan. Unless there is the mass suicide, there's no plan to it past that date besides extending it. This seemed to be planned out pretty well. This seems like a good plan. The movement was described as a doomsday cult by BBC News and the New York Times. Minister Moses Ali stated that the commission would investigate what happened in Kanungu and identify the perpetrators of the murders, as well as provide recommendations to the government on how to avoid similar incidents in the future if there was a lax in any of the government departments. The team had six months to complete its work. The commission never convened. It came to an end with the announcement of its creation. <laughs> so just to appease the public, pretty much, they said, yeah, we're going to do this, and then... We're going to take a look at it, and nope. Like the Space Force. 
There's also the fact that several days before the movement leaders, Dominic Kataribaba was seen buying 50 liters of sulfuric acid, which may have either fueled the fire or could have been that said battery acid we talked about. Mm. See, nobody questions that. 50 liters of sulfuric acid? This guy's just rolling into the local DB. Be a great Home Depot commercial. You see a guy just roll in and just buy a bunch of acid. <laughs> Home Depot, you can do it. We can help. I slaughter cows. You got to get rid of the remains, and I don't feel like burying them. Kibutir's family stated that Joseph's actions were completely influenced by Credonia Merwende. Ah, pointing the finger. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Joseph would never do this. It was Credonia's fault. But that whore. <laughs> yeah, but that whore. <laughs> One initial report never confirmed that the members had applied gasoline and paraffin to their skin before the explosion and fire. Damn, that's hardcore. Yeah. It is difficult to see how the observer could have witnessed these preparations, though. If the windows and doors of the church were nailed shut, wouldn't they have died as well if they were in that building? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Unless they had secret little rat tunnels. <laughs> yeah. Now, if confirmed, though, this would be one indicator that the deaths might have been a result of a mass suicide, as they originally thought. I feel like the public and the government and the news outlets were trying to paint this as a mass suicide, but in reality, it was just a mass murder. Also, take a look at some of the ways that people were killed by bludgeoning. Who's going to go and say, I'm ready to commit suicide and smash their own face against a rock or something? <laughs> I'm ready for my mutilation and battery acid shower. Think about the worst ways to go. There's got to be easier ways. Pretty much every worse way, unless they weren't drowning people. I don't know. As they found in mass graves, a lot of bodies, but they also found those six bodies that were in the latrine that were soaked in acid. Those six bodies, along with the 81, those six bodies that were found in that latrine were not from the 17th. Yeah, but either way, who's going in ready to commit some suicide to get onto the train to heaven and saying, <laughs> splash that acid right in my face? It just doesn't make sense. It's like a Maybelline commercial with petrol. But who knows? They were hardcore Catholics. They were hardcore religious. So maybe in a way they were paying for their sins or something of the sort. But still... If you're going to go out, why are you going to go out in such a painful manner? It doesn't read to me as suicide. No. Although it was initially assumed that the five leaders died in the fire, police now believe that Joseph and Credonia may still be alive. <laughs> and they have issued an international warrant for their arrest. They're having fucking tea with Adolf Hitler in Argentina. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of the whole Hitler getting away sort of thing. Oh, Joseph, try the schnitzel. <laughs> We do have to ask ourselves the question, and it's something that we have asked ourselves previously with cults. How did this happen? How did the Ugandan government miss this? Hundreds and hundreds of people dead or being killed? A red flag was raised by a concerned citizen. Quote, in January 2000, a complaint was lodged by a one Conrad Baryamusaki to Senior Assistant Commissioner of Police John Biakumu a private secretary to the president responsible for CID affairs, that there was an illegal existence of a cult headed by a one Kibwatir that was kidnapping and retaining young children against their will. 
What the fuck is with kids in these people? You know, trafficking, abuse, labor, sex. It's, it's fucking unreal. They're easy to control. That's really what it is. They're easy to control. They're impressionable. You can teach them anything that you want and they'll absorb it quickly, especially the younger that they are. That's why a lot of these cults focus and hone on children. True. A lot of that going on. I mean, obviously, Blood Diamond is a, a fictional story. The DiCaprio story? The DiCaprio movie, but that does happen. As shitty as it sounds, the android that you're holding in your hand had some pieces of it in mind by kids somewhere else. Oh, definitely. For sure. Just like your renewable batteries. You guys all want to get away from crude oils. We need to help this planet. But it's okay if a seven-year-old African child goes into the mining ores to bring out that wonderful Tesla battery. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, the fire was used as political leverage and opportunity in the election that followed the events later that year. It was also found that politicians did take a blind eye and were most likely bribed to look in the other direction mm -hmm. during and after the investigation. There were signs that the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God had ties to the Marian Workers of Atonement, an Australian-based group. The leader of this group, William Kamm, also known as Little Pebble, shared many beliefs with Kibwetir's cult and even held meetings in Uganda. Marian Workers of Atonement, if that's not some Virgin Mary shit. There's a connection there. I wonder if Kibwetir and Credonia escaped to Australia. Ooh, I didn't think about that when I was looking some of this stuff that's up. That's a good exit strategy. Nobody's going to look for you there. Nobody's going to find you in the outback. No. Between October 6th and 10th, 1989, Mr. Cam held four meetings in Kampala when reports of manifestations of the Virgin Mary, an aspect common to both cults, were becoming frequent throughout Uganda, according to the British newspaper The Guardian on April 18th, 2000. All in all, the religious group did reform after the events. Why, you might ask? Possibly due to the one thing they had left. Jesus is so strong. He is. Buff Jesus. Is it wrong to be strong? Dummy yoked, Jesus. I've got one final question before we decide to wrap up this expedition. Do you think the cult leaders had conspired earlier into taking all these people's money, possessions, children, land, and even their lives? Was this a Ponzi scheme? Take your shit, get whacked? Or was it from the fuck up of going into 2000? Let's actually explore that as we go into our final thoughts on this Kanungu cult. David, answer your own question. Let me know what you think. Well, thank you, David, for giving me a question. I think that these people definitely had ill intentions from the get-go. Maybe not when they were in their older churches in the 60s and 70s, but there was definitely some ill intentions or seedy shit going on. Like, let's take these poor people's money, let's take their kids, let's take their houses, let's take their land, and have them all come together. And in reality, we're just going to control them in every aspect. So it's kind of masturbatory by these five people. I think, all in all, they fucked up. Y2K didn't spring on the coming of the Virgin Mary or the second coming of Christ or the extraterrestrials that picked them up. How do we get these people to not rebel? Kill them. Uh, yeah, this is a massive tragedy. I definitely think, as Dave said, that maybe in their beginnings they didn't have these intentions. But as with any cult and human nature in general, when you start to involve money and possessions and things of that nature, people get greedy and they get very ugly very quick. 
you have these cult leaders, the five of them, and they're getting all this land, they're getting people's money, they're getting all this stuff, they're getting free labor, free food, pretty much. They're just thieves, really. And then when you have the group of people start questioning where their money went and where all the things that they contributed to are, that threw them into a panic, let's start killing these people off. And I would think any of the killings that happened prior to the big day were probably people that were very outspoken early on asking what was going on with their money and going on with their possessions. But that's just my thought. The involvement of children is always a, a common thing with these predatory cults. Sad in itself, but I do think that there was some sort of exit strategy as far as the leadership goes. I very much doubt that they locked themselves in that building and then blew it up and said that's that. It seems like if you're into the possessions and you're into the money and you're into that greed, it's the last thing that you're going to do. You're just going to figure out a way to get away with all that stuff without having to pay anybody back. That's my thought. Slick Frog Sanders, give me your final thoughts on the Kanungu cult. Frog's final thought. Oh boy. I wish I had some interesting outlandish final thoughts for our hushlings today but i really don't i'm gonna actually quite simply mimic the two of you because i feel the same way i think it might have started off as more of a helpful thing since since the catholic church kind of stepped back out of the region there was this void to fill and these five people might have thought that they could fill that void and they started accepting these people into their community people felt the need to sell their possessions sell their assets give up all of their earthly possessions to be able to contribute to this community and like we said after the whole year 2000 thing and the end never came they realized damn we done goofed i think there might have been a better way i think they could have just fled i don't quite understand the whole killing of all of the people i can't quite put words to that for an explanation why they had to kill all of these people i think if they really messed up and you know these people were demanding their property back demanding their money back they could have just dipped out and i like that australia theory that you mentioned earlier i think they could have just fled to australia nobody would have ever ever found them not the government not the citizens of uganda i'm just at a loss of words for the murder, for the mutilation, for all of the killing. I think to an extent it was orchestrated. It wasn't your typical mass group suicide, and that's obvious. You have these bodies soaked in sulfuric acid, and you've got stabbings. This this wasn't a drink the Kool-Aid sort of scenario. I think this was five people who got kind of power hungry. They realized they messed up, and they thought their only option was to kill all of these people off. Well, Hushlings, that is going to conclude our bushwhacking into the jungles of Uganda. What do you think? Did we miss anything? Was there anything that we should have discussed? Does the Virgin Mary turn you into a murderous cult leader? <laughs> Let us know. Reach out to us. You can hit us up at our email at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Be sure to tune in for Debriefing 49, where your boys travel down the street from their stomping grounds for a grisly yet suspicious episode in the town of Cheshire, Connecticut, where Dr. William Pettit was severely injured, his wife Jennifer and his two daughters, 17-year-old Haley and 11-year-old Michaela, were all murdered, streaming everywhere Monday, May 23rd.
On our Patreon, there's going to be a brand new exclusive debriefing, which will be available Thursday, May 19th. Every third Thursday of the month, we release an exclusive debriefing just for our patrons, the true hushlings. In this installment, we make sure our flux capacitor is set correctly because we're exploring some alleged people that were time travelers and the technology to support it. Yes, we traverse through a list of possible people that have been witnessed being out of place, whether it be photos, clothing, abnormal technology at the time. We take a step back in time and peer into the chronovisor again, the Diglock, Iranian time machine, and more. This episode will only be on Patreon. Ascend today for a minimal donation of $5 a month. Become a part of the society at www.patreon.com slash hushhushsociety. And of course, one last thing, Hushlings, we definitely want you to join us. Tune in June 6th for our 50th debriefing and the fifth live show. We're going to be diving into transhumanism and infiltrate the Yellow Sand Society. We'll recap season five, host some trivia as always, giveaways as we always do because we want you to wear those slick hush hush threads. Maybe a shirt, maybe a hat. We're definitely going to give away stickers so you can plaster them all over government property. We'll do some hot takes and, of course, a sneak peek at some new things coming in Season 6. Drilling it in, solidifying. That is Monday, June 6th, June 6th, June 6th, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. June 6th! Thank you again for attending another debriefing of the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Sleek Frog Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight. <laughs>